family. Well, we've been dealing with uh, the kingdom of God to start off with. Uh, we talked about some of the consequences of the kingdom of God. And now we've moved into the third section of our, of our study, which has to do with God is in the process of forming every one of his servants, you and I. He's active in our world, significantly active in our world. Uh, most folk don't realise it, don't see him, can't tell. But so far as we are concerned, he is a God who's in the process all the time of forming us. Uh, and we're using Elijah as an example and, and finding from the experience of Elijah just how God is working in his life and saying God can do that, does that in our lives as well. So let's just, uh, let's just remember the review from last week. God's fingerprints in our life's formation, what God does and how we respond to what he's doing. First of all, we identify the fact that uh, so far as God is concerned, our relationship is always based on the, on the process of obedience. Uh, we understand that he is the king, he is the lord of the universe and he will not be supplanted by anybody or anything. We are to have no other gods before him and when we come to speak to him, he is to be the authority in our lives and when he speaks, we do. That's the process. Secondly, we identified in Elijah the process of the Desert Bible Institute where, where Elijah was taken for three years out into the Kerith Ravine by God for formation purposes. Now, he needed to be out in the desert for that long because his particular task was outrageously difficult and God needed time to work in his heart and his mind. What God tends to do with you and me is just do it dribbling along a little bit at a time and, and, and helping us to work out to be who we're supposed to be. But there's the Desert Bible Institute, part of our lives, where things don't seem to be going quite right uh, and yet he says, stay there, listen to me, grow in your relationship with me and then we work on from there. And the third thing we talked about, the third fingerprint that God brings to us is uh, that the main thing should always remain the main thing. That's the main thing. The main thing is our relationship with Jesus. Uh, in the Old Testament, of course, it wasn't Jesus, it was Jehovah. Uh, but in, in our concept, it's this notion of our relationship with Jesus always remains at the, fo at the focal point of our lives. Nothing else matters. Circumstances are not significant. We are to focus our attention on Jesus uh, and, and make sure that it stays there. And for, fourthly, uh, we discovered this fingerprint in the way in which uh, God is developing Elijah and that the battle belongs to the Lord. Um, when he's commanded to raise the child... He's not concentrating on his own abilities. He's looking beyond himself to the one who tells him what to do. Uh, it's it's, a, uh, it's a, uh, a stumbling block for him if he begins to interpret things in terms of his own ability. And God will take him through that process again until he learns the issue is not focusing on who you are. The issue is focusing on the God who gives you what you need to be in his purposes. Right, so those, the, those were the four fingerprints uh, that we identified. Now, I'm sure there are a lot more, but uh, I've, I've identified those for our purposes. Um, and, I, and I thought we would start uh, in, in Elijah in 1 Kings 18, 1 to 15. Now, there's going to be a bit of Bible reading in this. Uh, I, I'm not, I don't want to assume that you know the story. 
I want to be able to read the story to you and, and move um, into uh, my comments on the basis of you understanding it. So if you've got your scriptures on your phone or whatever, can I invite you to look up uh, 1 Kings 18, 1 to 15. I'll read it to you. But find it there and, and we'll, we'll explore a little bit about uh, Elijah meeting Obadiah. After a long time in the third year, we knew that already, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourselves to Ahab. God's in charge, tells him what to do, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each. And he had supplied them with food and water. <clears throat> Ahab had said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we'll not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. What a coincidence. Obadiah recognised him, bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go and tell your master Elijah is here. Now, Obadiah goes to water. What have I done wrong? asked Obadiah. That you are handing your servant over to Ahab to, put, to be put to death. As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear that they could not find you. But now you tell me to go, on, to, go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know why, where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab he doesn't find you, he'll kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He'll kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. God initiates the meeting in the beginning. This is all in God's purpose and in God's timing. We call it coincidence. Most of us who belong to Jesus Christ know that there are coincidences that are laced with God's intention. That God himself controls these things and moves in directions and uses us. And very frequently for those of us who are used to this relationship with God, all we can do is to say, thank you Lord, you did it again. This is part of who God is. He is moving and working in our world to achieve his goals and his purposes. And he wants us to understand as we keep our focus on Jesus Christ, this is the experience that becomes a natural thing for our life. God initiates the meeting at the beginning of the end, the beginning of the end. It's all started now. What Elijah has been programmed for is now about to happen. Four people... And four perspectives. Who they are control their perspectives. The fingerprint five, after the four last week, God's action in our lives recasts our sense of insight to see things from the perspective of God's purposes. 
when we relate to God, he recasts our perceptions. He recasts our insight to see things according to God. That's important. That's a fingerprint of his. What he wants to do is to speak into our lives and to turn our vision from the point of view, not, our, not of Smith-coloured glasses, but of God-coloured glasses. Where I don't see this particular event from the point of view of my, la- my past experiences and identify it according to what I think might be happening, I begin to see things from God's perspective. And that's what he's saying to you and to me. He recasts our sense of insight to see things from the perspective of God's purposes. Let me ask you a question. Does Elijah yet know what he's being charactered for? No. <clears throat> he has absolutely no idea what's coming along. He has absolutely no idea at all. He is like you and I, innocent. Has no idea. Do we? Do you know your future? Do you know what he is setting you up for? I mean, ultimately, we know that he is setting us up to go and live with him, to be with him, to share a life with him, which is way beyond our wildest dreams. He is setting us up, he's forming our character, developing in us the needs that we have to move into a relationship with himself. I mean, we're told, aren't we, that uh, you can't take anything with us when we die. I tend to disagree with that. Uh, I'm not denying scripture. (laughs) It's talking about taking physical things. What I'm saying to you is, we take our relationship with Jesus Christ through us into eternity. And what is formed in our relationship is how we relate to him when we get onto the other side. How close do you want to be when you get on the other side? I think one of our purposes in life is to form this relationship with Jesus now and build our lives on the process of constantly interacting with him, constantly relating to him, so that that process of relationship is already well in place. And as we move through the veil, we go to see him face to face. Come and have a coffee with me. We've done this many times before. Elijah's on Mount Carmel, a most this is a major story, I don't want to emphasise it too much. 1 Kings 18, 16 to 38. Let's read that. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab <clears throat> and told him, uh, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to me, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Elijah says, I've not made trouble for Israel, uh, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab went, sent word through all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Then he dictates what is to happen at God's instruction. Get two bulls for us, let them choose one for themselves. 
and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but uh, not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, including the Israelites, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. He said, surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as were their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. Would the stones be built on the altar? With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two sears of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Who's in charge? At your command. I'm obedient. Answer me, O Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. The sage stage is set. The great confrontation. The Israelites are no longer able to see who God is. They have been deceived through history over a period of time by Ahab, by Ahab's father, by Jezebel and all those who are around her and they cannot now discern the existence of Yahweh. Is it terror of Jezebel that has brought this about? Is it social pressure? Do we face social pressure? Is it practice over time? where over at least two generations of kings, say 30 years, they have drifted just bit by bit away from, a, uh, from uh, 
from Jehovah. You know, incidentally, this is a bit of an example, but do you know how a cow moves from one paddock to the other? One tuft of grass at a time. And these guys have moved one tuft of grass to another, just little bit by little bit. So what was okay back here is now broadened out to what can be done. So we face LGBTI, whatever it's called, and other organisations in our world who bit by bit want us to move from what we know to be true, constantly away, bit of grass by bit of grass, to move away from the living God. Elijah resorts to the certainty of his experience about the Lord. He doesn't resort to his experience of fire. He doesn't resort to his experience of digging trenches. He doesn't give, uh, resort to using water to, tre- to, to drench everything. He doesn't resort to any of that. He's listening to the Lord. The Lord says, dig a hole, put a... etc., etc. Cover it with water. Experience of God, not a fire. Or confrontation, because that's what he's doing. Imagine the stress on Elijah right now. Would you like to be there standing up in front of 450 priests and Jezebel and Ahab who's about to kill you? But he focuses attention on the God who answers. In our lives and in our purposes, we need to understand it is not the circumstances that are significant, it is the God who speaks that is significant. He understands our circumstances. He has been where we are. He made us, every part of us, right from our brain to our toes. Made the whole lot. Fingerprint six. I hope you can read that, can you? It's a certainty in life that we will resort sooner or later to who we know God to be. And I'm saying to you, it's important for us to get deeper and deeper and deeper into God because sooner or later at some point of crisis in our life or at some point of need in our life that's where we will go to meet the God who knows us and understands us if our knowledge of him is this thick that's where we'll go and that's the kind of relationship we'll live with it's the kind of relationship we'll build on and move on if our depth is this deep when the pressure is on, and I don't think there'd be anyone in here in this, in this room who hasn't discovered the kind of pressure I'm talking about. When the pressure is on, where do you go? You go to the depth. I remember my son was born. One week later, he caught pneumonia. We took him into the children's hospital. The doctor took one look and he said, phone me at two o'clock this morning and I'll tell you whether he's still alive. Where do you go? The boy's one week old. Where do you go? Suddenly the only thing that matters is this point of our relationship with God and what he's able to say to us, what he's able to do to us in the management of our son's needs. Sooner, It's a certainty of life that we will resort sooner or later to who we know God to be. Fingerprint six. The priests of Baal proceed with what they know to be true, which is rubbish, and I'm not going to bother talking about it. And then there's Elijah's turn, from 1 Kings 18 
verses 30 to 38. The pressures on Elijah at this stage of of the game must have been intolerable. You're the person standing there on your own. Your supporters are duds. They're silent. They've got nothing to say. They don't understand anything. You are faced with glowing and glaring faces of 450 prophets who, who, who are ready to, to, to kill you. Now Ahab's there. He's been chasing you. Jezebel's there who's a nasty piece of work. And you stand as the servant of the living God knowing that at any moment your head could be ripped off, but knowing that you will do what you now know he has trained you for, for eternity. Elijah's activities are highly significant theologically. He repairs the altar of the Lord. Hadn't been in place for some years. So he raises the altar again, raises it up, this is the focal point for the Israelites, of course. This is where they come to worship. It's where they give their offerings. It's where they do their spiritual life uh, like we do in church. It's significant and important. So the first thing he does is to raise the altar where the people see again the place that they should be. He chooses 12 rocks. And he says to the people over and over again, do you remember in your history that God said there were 12 nations? They are the people of Israel. There's only two left, Judah and Israel. But do you understand that these are the, these are the basis of our faith? Twelve rocks, twelve people. Uh, now, water is in, is in plentiful supply at this moment, you think? He takes great big tubs and he says to them, now I want you to pour that over the they say we've got to drink that we can't pour the water over the fire no just do it again and oh by the way do it again the third time so the water runs absolutely everywhere what extinguishment do our firefighters use to kill fires water sometimes they use some magical foam but most part they they use water the drought there's a premium on waste and elijah what does he do He prays. He returns the nation to its roots. My house should be a house of prayer. My house should be the place where the people who love me talk to me. Where the people who love me come build a relationship with me. Where the people who love me over and over again will bow down and worship me for who I am and I will be their God and I will look after them and I will love them forever. Elijah prays. Fingerprint seven. The surrounding circumstances are not the focus. God keeps the focus on himself. Fingerprint seven. Don't worry about what's happening. Perceive what's happening. He's not saying shut your eyes. Perceive what's happening, but don't be concerned about what's happening. Come to the master. Be the place you need to be. Bow down before him and he will speak into your life as insecure as you may be. And he will keep the focus on him and what he might achieve, and what he might be in the midst of your circumstance. 
Fingerprint seven. The surrounding circumstances are not the focus of God. They are not the focus you need to be focused on. They are, God keeps the focus where it ought to be upon himself. He is the faithful God. Over and over again we hear the story of the faithful God. And that's who he is. Uh, just a comparison, Hebrews 12, 2 for us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The writer of the Hebrews is saying, uh, this is chapter 12, which is kind of after the, um, after the great list of all of the people who have served him. He says, keep your eyes fixed. Don't shift your attention. Don't shift your, your, your glaze. Chapter 11, all of these people did what they had to do. They fixed their eyes on Jesus and they, received, they didn't receive their reward. There was nothing there. But in concert with you, in the relay race of life, where they've handed the baton on to you, they will win the race. They will achieve the goal because you have. There's tons of stuff to talk about in there. We don't have time for that this morning. But I wanted us to understand, this is not purely Old Testament stuff. God has been able to use his servant to do his will. As a consequence of these seven, prints, uh, seven fingerprints. Now you may be on to discern other fingerprints in there and that would be fine. But this is our life. This is what God does to the people who are the people of the kingdom. This is not a matter of obeying rules. This is a matter of building a relationship which out, of, out of which comes a discerning life, a full life, a life of joy, a life of praise, a life of worship, uh, a life of wonder. What follows is God's judgment, and I didn't, deliberately didn't read what happens to the priests. We'll talk about that next week. What follows is God's judgment, not Elijah's intention. He doesn't do what he has to do until the Lord tells him to do it. Seven fingerprints. Seven fingerprints that say to us again and again, God is alive and active in his world. He is alive and active in your personal world. He longs to speak into your life, to form you, to do the things that you have given him to do. We've got Jane going over to the mercy ship. What's God been doing in her life? I'm not going to ask you, Jane. What's God been doing in her life to the point where she says, yep, I'll go and stay on the ship. What's he been doing? What's he been doing in your life? What might he be saying about the future? What has he skilled you for? Who are you to be? What is it like to be a part of this family? Working together, loving together, caring together, serving together. What's he saying? His future is in his hands. Your future is in his hands. All we need to do really is get down on our knees and pray. Especially if you get this interim pastor, this intention with the new pastor position absolutely clear. Agree with me? Are you with me on this on this uh, on this little journey? Are you in your hearts and in your minds? Are you with me in this process that you know God is is working in you? Have you sat down and thought about what he's done over the past? Have you sat down and thought about 
how it might bear fruit in your life now to go back and say, yeah, I see a fingerprint there. I see God in action there. That clarifies things a little bit for me about what, what the future holds. Let me pray. Our Lord and our God, the master of our universe, the master of the complete universe, the one who comes to us in a disarmingly beautiful and wonderful way to live with us, to hold hands with us, to guide us, to keep us, to form us into the people you want us to be so that your purposes are achieved in this world, that you don't run the race your own, but you invite us into the most incredible position of being able to work, side, work alongside the living God. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the way that you've loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.